get up on your feet. If you guys just want to come up on the stage, apparently that's okay now. <laughs> just come up whenever you want. <laughs> Find somebody, tell them good morning. That's your The mountain shaking from That's your name The ocean's roaring tumble That's your name Angels will bow The earth will rejoice Your people cry out Lord of The morning 
Good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas. It looks like Christmas threw up in here, doesn't it? Isn't that great? You didn't know what to say to that. Hey, pastor's talking. <laughs> so good to see you all. If you have mints that you would like to drop at Chad's feet, feel free to do that all morning. That was awesome. My wife's going, oh, isn't she cute? And I'm going, oh, man, that would have thrown me off. You're pretty good. You kept playing. That's good. You get an A-plus for today. Well, it's good to see you all. Uh, we had uh, Wednesday night. We decorated this place and appreciate all those who were willing to help and get this place set up. We have so many exciting things this holiday season. Christmas is cool because people are more inclined to spend time together, and that includes inside and outside of the church. And, uh, and we hope you'll take advantage of this season and reaching out to your neighbors and, and uh, spending time with each other. We have uh, in, in your worship guide this morning, there are uh, as an insert with all the activities coming up, and we want you to take note of those. Uh, the first one is this coming weekend, Saturday, at the exact same time the Lovekin Panthers are playing. We timed that beautifully. Shows a lack of faith on our part. But for those of you who are not at the uh, Lovekin Panthers game, which is at 2 o'clock at SFA, okay? The rest of you who didn't go whoop, whoop behind me, whatever is left of the staff, Julie and I will be there for sure. But we would like to have, we're having an open house from 2 to 5 next Saturday afternoon at our home. Our address is in there. Just stop by for a few minutes. We're going to have cookies and cider and coffee and water, and we're providing water for free. So just come in and, and make yourself at home and join us. And it'll give us a chance outside of all the activities because we get so busy talking to everybody. But this will be a chance for you to shake hands with us and hug our neck, and we can hug yours and wish each other Merry Christmas and all. That is next Saturday afternoon. Uh, and then you all, you'll also notice uh, <clears throat> that that's on, it's on an insert, this one, and then all the upcoming events is on an insert here. But uh, on the other side of it, too, the following Friday night, we have rented out the Pines Theater, and we're going to show a Christmas movie with an ugly sweater contest. So we're going to do both. But uh, encourage you to come out that night. Um, we're going to show the movie The Santa Claus. It's a, it's a movie about Jesus' birth and uh, with Tim Allen. And so, why are you laughing? It's a good Christmas movie. Okay, so that night, it's just a, these are just opportunities for us to spend time together, and we need to do that. So we encourage you to come to that if you're not going to the football game next Saturday, and, and we'd love to have you out. Lots of stuff coming up. Please be a, a part of that. Um, today, after their service, there's a second win. That's our student ministry, junior and high school uh, meeting. Wait, nope, it's not this morning. It's December 3rd. Jeff, are you in here? Today's December 3rd. It is here this morning. Uh, so right over here at 11 o'clock, immediately following this service, yeah, you're hopeful I'll be done preaching by then. When I'm done preaching, uh, you're going to meet for about 10 minutes right over here and uh, some stuff about upcoming events that he wants to go through with you. The only other announcement that I want to make uh, is regarding Christmas cards. Uh, at Carpenter's Way, for those of you who are new, um, if you want to participate, you'll notice that by the, uh, by the library, in front of the library, is a big wood box with, uh, it, it's a post office. And if you are going to be exchanging cards with people at Carpenter's Way, it explains in here that uh, instead of the stamp money, just put it, uh, you can put that, uh, put your uh, cards in there under the name, the last na initial of the name of the person you're giving it to. They will check it each week and uh, take the money that you would spend on stamps and putting in an offering, and we'll make sure that goes into missions uh, as well, a little extra missions giving. Um, if you are visiting with, actually, I'm going to have Brad Bustler's going to come up. He has an announcement to make, and then uh, we'll take our offering and get on with our service. Brad? Thank you. 
Uh, I serve on the personnel committee along with uh, Mark Strong, and uh, I also guard that door back there. Some of you people have been taking uh, these things without my permission. <laughs> I will take them out of your hand and hand them back to you if you do that. But that's not why I'm up here. I wanted to, to announce quick that we're taking a, uh, a love offering for our staff. We have an incredible staff here that does a marvelous job all year long. We've only got this Sunday and next Sunday, I think, to do that. So if you would, please uh, uh, go ahead and fill one of these out and drop it in the offering plate for us. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Uh, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time for our offering. Uh, and um, if you are visiting with us this morning, we're awfully glad to have you here. Uh, and I would love to shake your hand and answer any questions that you may have. So immediately following the service, I'll be around as well. Like I would mentioned, if you've got a kid in junior high or high school, you'll meet up here for a few minutes after. Uh, if you're visiting with us, Julie and I will be up front. And we'd love to hug your neck and welcome you and answer questions about our church. We're just glad you're here this morning. And if you're watching on the Internet, our hope and our prayer is that uh, you're drawn close to the Lord having spent this morning with us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And um, Lord, thank you for how you have provided for us over 20 years in this place and financially and the faithful giving of your kids. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, I want to thank you that we get to participate with men and women across the globe in sharing the gospel and encouraging each other. And Lord, uh, thank you that we can come out of the busyness of, of life and uh, each Sunday and take a deep breath and enjoy each other's company and spur each other on to love and good deeds. And during this Christmas season especially, I pray that we would look for opportunities to minister to folks and, and to encourage each other. And uh, Lord, as we turn our eyes away from the business of life and church and uh, now focus completely on you, I pray for Chad and the worship team that you would use them powerfully in our hearts. And, and uh, also as I open the word a little later, I pray that you would clearly speak through me. Um, I just pray that the rest of our time would be used by you for your glory and your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, he 
so much just for this time of year and it's uh such a cool time of year lord coming off of thanksgiving into christmas and it's just exciting time although we also know there's people in this room that are hurting there's people in this room that are scared of uh diagnoses that are coming uh maybe already been diagnosed with things and so god we ask lord that uh as we move forward into this season reminding lord that you didn't just come and died you came and lived you walked in our shoes lord and we just ask lord that you would uh, just remind us god remind us lord of just how good you are Remind us, Lord, as we walk through these seasons of our life of hurt and pain and even joy and, and rejoicing, God, that rem remember, Lord, that you're, you're not just a, a God. You are the God that moves mountains. 
You're the God that moves mountains in our, in our lives, Lord. And God, we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, just make that real to us this, this, uh, this season as we go through this time. And God, that our lips will be able to declare, Lord, that, that you are a great God. You are a great God. And we are so just astounded. We're so blown away on what you've done for us and how you've blessed us. And we praise you. Thank you.
unable to have a child cried out to the Lord for a son and in last week's text which is 1 Samuel chapter 1 she promised to give him back to the Lord for full time ministry for the, for the life of, for his whole life if God would allow her to have a child and God grants her request she gives him the name Samuel which means I prayed for you and after he's weaned she, as she promised she took him to the tabernacle where she keeps her vow, and young Samuel will now be raised by Eli. Please take note of that. It'll come in handy later. Where he will be raised by Eli to serve God however God sees fit throughout his whole life. Before we move on, I'd like to remind you that Samuel, who we believe wrote the book of Samuel, uh, both books of Samuel, which as I mentioned last week, for those of you who weren't here, that First and Second Samuel are only First and Second Samuel in the Greek lexicon. Actually, in the Hebrew Bible, it's one book. Uh, we believe that Samuel and people that were working for him both wrote both Samuel and Ruth. Uh, Samuel loves to contrast characters uh, as he records for us the history of the Jewish people under God. One major contrast that we've been doing the last couple weeks that we've seen so far is a contrast between Naomi in the book of Ruth, that's Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law, in her fear and grief where she and her husband ran from God into the enemy's camp to find solace, and Hannah, who last week, even though she's depressed and deeply, deeply grief, uh, grieved, we watch her run to God. Uh, he, co he compares and contrasts those two. For those of you who have not been with us or didn't see those, I want to encourage you to go back on the internet. For those of you watching on the internet to do this study, I think Ruth turned out to be a really great study for all of us. Uh, and that's on there. It's cwbc.org. You want to do that. It's free. And it's just a Bible study. It's just a chance to relook at a story that you um, that may or may not be familiar with. But especially as we go through First and Second Samuel, it's really important that you allow God to build one story on another because, because the contrasting is what really is powerful in these. Um, the fact is we need to be more like Hannah. And for those of you who think that all of the Bible heroes and the stories and the characters of Scripture are men, that's only because you've never read the book. I think that Hannah is probably one of the most godly characters throughout all of the Scriptures, faithful and her husband, uh, in how they trust the Lord, um, and uh, we need to be more like Hannah. Not that she wasn't hurt. She was deeply grieved and depressed. But in our depression, in our life experiences, we need to run to the Lord like Hannah instead of from the Lord like Naomi, which is something that a lot of us do, trying to find pleasure outside of God. So let's ask the Lord as we start in chapter 2 this morning. Let's pray. I'd ask you to pray for me that uh, I communicate these texts true. Uh, accurately um, because there's a lot to this this morning and it's really practical so let's let's pray father i ask you this morning to fill me with your spirit i thank you that 
that he is always inhabiting me, but I ask that he controls my tongue this morning, that the jokes that I make, the words that I say are actually your words. And uh, Father, uh, I, I just pray that you'd, you'd remove all of Mark from this and make it truly from you. Lord Jesus, uh, we live in a culture that worships youth. We look at a, live in a culture where uh, we're very, uh, we want our kids to have a better experience than we had, uh, and we don't want to too much think ab- about the cost of that. And so uh, I ask you this morning to help us think from your heart and not ours. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Eli's the high priest, as you know, and uh, Samuel, as I've mentioned already, this will be my third time, it's important that you recognize this, Samuel is given to Eli to, to learn the service of the Lord. Uh, uh, he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and I, I, I just, it's a problem for me because there's a cartoon that my kids used to watch that's very similar in sound, so if I mess up their name, just bear with me, because in my, I'm a very visual person, and I see these two elongated cartoon characters here, but uh, this morning, we're gonna, you're going to learn about these boys. Hophni and Phinehas are the sons of Eli the priest. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were scoundrels. Let that sink in a little bit. When the Hebrew Bible, the inspired, inerrant word of God, written by Samuel, says that somebody's a scoundrel, that's not a good thing. It gives you immediately context for these boys. Now, the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Whenever, he's going to tell us what they did. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's son would send over his servant with a three-pronged fork. While the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it uh, brought up be given to Eli's sons. This is an important line, this next one. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated in this way. So, take a breath. Eli's sons stole their sacrifice. Everyone knew about it. Anybody who came to Shiloh, to that tabernacle to worship, knew about it. Verse 15. Sometimes the servants would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned because that's the part that was given to the Lord. I'm going to add that now. In Bible study, you'll talk about that a little bit more. But that's, that's what was required to be burned off for God. And they were actually saying, we, well, here's what they'd say. Then the servant would demand, no, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. That's called thievery. So the sin of these young men was very, men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. Well, that, that's bad. You think, uh, you think that pastor's kids or shepherd's kids now are a problem. It's been going around for a long time. Remember that these are the times of the judges. And in the Old Testament, the last verse of the book of Judges, 21-25, says this, that in those days Israel had no king, and all of the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Apparently this wasn't just true of the masses, the population of Israel, the general congregation of God's flock, but this was also true of the priests as well, all the way up to the high priest. Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, were stealing for themselves the best part of the offerings that faithful Jews were bringing to offer the Lord. They were stealing God's offerings for themselves in the tradition of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. 
They were stealing God's offerings, disrespecting not only the offerer and their office of priest, but treating God himself with contempt as if he wouldn't care. Actually, like a religion, not like a real God. And this wasn't the only thing they were guilty of. In a few moments, I'm going to read for you uh, uh, a little later in this text that God actually confronts uh, Eli because his boys are seducing young women in the temple who are there to serve the Lord as well. Uh, the term seducing, the, 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 the actual phraseology in the Hebrew gives you the idea that they're raping young women. It's interesting, though, because as opposed to our moral set, because we have a tendency to today uh, discredit some of our religious offerings to the Lord. Of the two things, the one that God is most offended about is stealing his offering. That's enough. We'll get into that a little later, too. But I, I, I want to I remind you throughout this study of, of 1 and 2 Samuel how Samuel loves to contrast characters. And as bad as Eli's sons were in Samuel chapter 2, what we just read, look at verse 18, the very next, next verse, but Samuel. Okay, now I want to remind you that Samuel's a little boy at this time. And if you're a thinking person, you realize, well, he's writing about himself. Yes, he is. He's writing about himself. But Samuel though he was only a boy, served the Lord. Okay? That's not just a reference of what he did to, buy, to spend his time. He's talking about the heart of himself. That, that I was a little boy, my heart belonged to the Lord. Now, again, I want to remind you that when a character of Scripture writes authors a book, they're often scribes or people with him that write as well. And we actually know the name of several of those that wrote for Samuel. So I can't say that he wrote this about himself. I can tell you two things that I want to remind you. Number one, the word is God is without error in its original form. And the Hebrew is talking about the spiritual level of this young man we know as Samuel. And God has ordained his spiritual health. So you have Hophni and Phinehas, our cartoon characters, that are absolutely wicked to the core of their being. They're not just immoral, they're also disrespectful to God. And then you have Samuel, that right here, and we'll learn more about him later, but right here it is said of him, though he was only a little boy, he served the Lord. While he, he wore a linen garment like that of a priest. Verse 19, each year his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and would say, may the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one uh, that she gave to the Lord. Now, all of you who are maybe have one child or have, have difficulty having children, just gasp because you can never replace the one kid you gave away or lost, Right? That shows the shallowness, I think, of Eli. He's trying to bless them, but as men has always struggled with, the right words. And, but it tells us in verse 21 that the Lord blessed Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. So a couple things. Number one, um, I want to point out, before we get into the meat of this text, that I want to remind you, and I was talking with uh, Pete Smart's Bible study class about this this morning, one of the uh, probably most powerful things that happens in this story where we hear of Hannah's trust of the Lord is one that we don't even think about. And that is that it just, we just learned that, that Eli's boys were wicked, right? Really, really wicked. And we're going to find out how wicked a little bit later. But they were genuinely wicked. We also learned that everybody who ever came to sacrifice here knew about it. That would include Hannah and Elkanah. So they were fully aware of Eli's boys and how out of control they were. And I want to ask you, moms, a question. Who did she give her child to? God is the right answer. But now I'm asking, 
Who did she give her child to to raise that child? Eli. Now you know just how godly and trusting she was. She had made a vow that she was going to keep even if it scared her to death to think of that man raising her child. It is an incredible story of godliness. We need to be like Hannah. I know that some of you are afraid of raising your kids in this culture. I know that some of us are afraid of, of, of how we educate our kids is a conversation we've had as a church. I know we get scared about all that. I want to remind you, you've got to trust in the Lord. He's real, he's there, and he loves your kids more than you do. As bad and as ungodly and irre irreverent as Eli's sons were, Hannah's son Samuel was a young boy who still served the Lord and had the support of his parents at great personal cost. It tells us in this text that each year, if you want to know, is it possible for a mom to fall out of love with her son? That's a dumb question, right? But Samuel wanted us to know that one thing he loved about his mommy is every year when she came, she brought him a new coat. What else could she do? She had given him back to the Lord. Again, these are true stories about real people who had real feelings. And this woman made a vow to God that she kept. And if you're wondering how real, for those of you who were with us last week, I want to remind you what her, son, or her husband Elkanah said to her the year after the, Samuel was born, remember? And they prepare to go back to the tabernacle. It said that they went annually. And they prepare to go back. And, and she comes to him and she says, Elkanah, honey, my son isn't weaned yet. I think we're going to stay home this year. And remember what he said? Oh, that sounds like a good idea. And remember what he said next? Honey, I'm going to pray that you keep your vow to God. Do you remember that? Go back to chapter 1. It's very important. The humanity. Do not miss the humanity of these people. Men, you know exactly what he's doing. He's hinting to her that he's concerned. And I'm going to pray for you. He's smart enough not to say, what about your vow? That would not have gone well. <laughs> if you've ever met a Jewish mom or wife, that is not something you want to take on. You want to hint, you want to suggest, you want to pray, you want to tell your daddy on him, but you want to stand back, and that's what he's doing. And she does keep her vow. Why? Because even godly women like Hannah, even godly women like Hannah, Hannah have second thoughts, don't they? They have second thoughts. And, and, and I don't, again, I just want to start by pointing out that it's interesting that as godly as Elkanah and Hannah are, that's as ungodly as Eli was in his parenting. More on that in a moment. But she is promised God that she would give the high priest her child for the service of the Lord and that was a prayer she made not having a child and now that she has a child the name is Eli that means that this boy's going to grow up around two rapists and thieves you think your kids are growing up in a bad culture this was worse this was worse be like Hannah trust the Lord but it's my kid. Are you willing to sacrifice your kid for God? Are you? He sacrificed his kid for you. Yeah, but I got one kid to raise. So did she. It's different. Why? Why is it different? She didn't even have the Holy Spirit in her. We really don't trust, okay? I get it. I'm with you. And this morning as we go through this, I just, as we compare Hannah to Eli, I just want you to know that this is really convicting for all of us. Um, 
In last week's text, and I've already talked about it, there was a lot to say about the faithfulness of Hannah and her husband to the Lord and their willingness to give up their own joy, their own happiness of having little Sammy in their home to keep a vow that they had made to God. And the verses we just read, we see their continued distant support and love for him. And just to be clear, to those of you who are Christian parents, when your child gives their life to Jesus Christ, they're not your child anymore. Well, whose are they? When your child gives their life to Christ, if you confess Jesus is Lord, they become the Lord's child. I want to tell you a secret, okay? And, and the percentage of men who baptize their kids is about to dramatically go down. The reason that I like fathers baptizing their children is because when you stand in that baptismal and you do that, you are saying to your wife and to the people of this church, my child may be nine, and they may not totally understand what they're doing right now. And by the way, my understanding and our understanding as a church of baptism is not for salvation. You're saved at the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, just like the thief on the cross, okay? This is the baptism of Jesus. He didn't need to be saved. He was saying, I came not to do my own will, but the will of the Father. That's why we go down into the water. It's a death to your own will and a raising up to whatever God wants. And to have a father stand in the baptismal as the pastor and actually baptize their child, it is to say that you have something more important than peace with that child. And that is to raise that child in a way where they understand that they have given themselves to Christ, that you were there observing and actually performing in a way a pastor does to remind them when they start to rebel that you don't have the luxury to do that thing that you want to do, even if it benefits you. Because you gave your life to Christ. You see, when we give our lives to Christ, and we forget this, most of us came to Christ because we wanted to get something. What? Heaven, not hell. The problem is we don't understand that when you came to Christ, God asked for something more from you. Yes, you're saved. He asked for everything else. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. You see, the role of the church and the, of the apostles isn't to make little Christians, people who pray a prayer and walk an aisle, but make disciples men baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was the instructions. And the purpose of that is to say, I don't belong to myself anymore. When you get in that water, it's not a water thing. It's not a Baptist thing. It's a thing where you're saying to everybody watching, I'm not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. I am now going to live my life for the Lord like little Sammy. I'm going to serve him with my life. Maybe not vocationally, but with my heart. I am going to put my rights aside. They have been crucified with Christ. In the life I now live, I live for God. And when I come up out of the water, I am saying to everybody, I'm making this public statement, and you can watch me. In fact, I not only want you to watch me, but I want you to hold me into account. And men, as you baptize your children, you are the first line of defense for them. It is your job to protect your little girls from too short of skirts. It is your job to protect your sons from drinking. It is your job to protect your kids from things that feel good but go against the commitment they made. Julie put a gun to my head this week and made me watch The Crown. Has anybody here watched The Crown because your wife put a gun to your head? It's a great show. And if you haven't seen it, it's worth 10 hours. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. And we're watching, and your flesh goes, 
what a horrible life. Let her marry the man she loves. But what you don't often think about is that she was born, it doesn't matter if you know the story, you'll get it. It doesn't matter if you want to marry somebody out here or not, you are born into royalty, therefore you have royal obligations. That goes against the mojo of the, of the movie. But I'm here to tell you that Peter kept trying to teach us this in the New Testament. He says, you've got to understand, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. If you want to live in your flesh any way you want, Hophni and Phinehas, go for it. Just don't claim to be God's kids. But as a child of God, you have been born again now into royalty. And that comes and brings responsibilities. If you do not want to raise your kids like your daddy in heaven wants you to raise them, don't claim to be a Christian. It's not that that saves you, but as a child of God, I should live like the values of my family, right? This is what's missing in our understanding of all this. We got saved so that we don't go to hell, but we think that after salvation we can just do anything we want, and technically you can, but you will destroy your children and yourself. That's what this story is about. That's what Eli does. If God was giving, willing to give his son for us, should we not be willing to give our sons and daughters for him? This isn't just Hannah and, and Elkanah that does this. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus. It wasn't just Hannah that takes her son back to the tabernacle. Mary did that. Have you ever thought about, except when I bring it up, how terrible her life was with that boy? I mean, from the deepest places inside, we laugh together because the only story of his up, uh, growing up is when he's 12 years of age. And he decides to stay in the temple and discuss things with the rabbis. And after two days of traveling, Mary says to Joseph, where's your son? It's really human. I don't know. They run back as fast as they can to the temple and they find him there teaching the teachers, remember? Debating with the rabbi. And remember what Mary says to her little 12-year-old godson? How can you do this to your father and I? Remember what God said to her? What are you talking about? I'm in my father's house. What's she supposed to do? Spank him? I mean, does she backhand that little smart aleck? The problem is he was telling the truth. You, you know, we look at Mary, and, and it's difficult. I mean, it's, it's beyond difficult imagining her watching her son be illegally killed, right? How about raising this God kid? I mean, do, do you spank God? I mean, seriously, he could cast you into hell without a thought, you know? Have you, you've seen your kids look at you like, I dare you to take that cookie out of my mouth. You know, and blood's coming out of their eyes. Jesus didn't do that, but he could look at you in a way that would melt you. Actually, he could melt you. <laughs> but, but Mary, Mary was more about what God had for her son than what she had for her son. Hannah was more about what God had for her son than what she had for her son. That's not how Eli was. Verse 22. Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, Samuel's giving us another example. These are not a this is not the full list. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing young women who assisted at the entrance of the temple. He's raping women. Eli said to them, I've been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep sinning? 
You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people aren't good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for that guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Verse 26. Ready for the contrast? Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. By the way, you know that verse in the New Testament? It's Luke 2.52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. Uh, Kevin, will you put that verse back up there for a second, please? I want you to notice this. This is the Hebrew rendition of the exact same verse. Samuel was just like Jesus. The boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. Jesus grew in, favor, uh, with, grew, grew in stature and favor with God and man. Samuel was like Jesus in his growth. I know what some of you are thinking already, though. You're being awful heavy-handed on Eli. I mean, these are his adult kids. How can he blame them for what they're doing as adults? Intentionally raising your kids from the earliest ages to serve God, not themselves, is what you're called to do. If you do not, from the earliest ages, two years of age, well, how do you teach a two-year-old to honor God? You teach a two-year-old that they don't always get what they want. James Dobson, a few years ago, taught Julie and I a very powerful lesson. No kid has ever died of screaming to death. Mom and dad has died from screaming to death. But sometimes the best thing you can do is put a kid in a crib and let him scream. Oh, that's terrible. It's only terrible if your kids are the center of your universe. If you want them to learn that they get everything they want if they scream enough. And I want to argue with you that Hophni and Phineas represent a whole generation today of, of young people who somehow have cell phones and can stand in line at Apple, at, at, outside of the Apple store for hours on or weeks on end and don't have to work. There's a problem. And it's not just outside of the church, it's inside. If you do not teach, intentionally raise your kids to serve God and not themselves, then you are raising Hophni and Phinehas, not Samuel. Look with me at what God says is the real problem with the boys, starting in verse 27. One day a man of God, okay, so God sends a prophet. One day a man of God came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord, very important. I revealed myself, and it's not the prophet saying this, when a prophet in the Old Testament spoke from God, he said, I am telling you this, and God, I, the I is God. I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were in Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest as he served me. And I assigned the sacrificial offerings to you priests. In other words, God is saying to Eli, everything you enjoy, everything you do, this privilege that I've given you, I gave it to you from before you were born. I called you to this task, and I even called your boys to this task. Verse 29. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Just to be clear, herein lies the problem with Phineas and Hophni. According to God, Daddy loved their kids more than he loved God. According to God's prophet to Eli, you have honored your kids 
more than you honored me. This happens when we love our kids more than God. What happens when we want our kids to be happy more than we want them to be holy? What happens when we decide that having a fight with our kids over clothing or internet or feeding their flesh is more of a problem than fighting for them to walk with God? You can't make them walk with God But you can, as a man or as a single mom, declare that your house is a place that God rules, and therefore, in our home, we will honor the values of the kingdom of heaven. And let me just throw one more thing out that's kind of new in our culture. If you are mom and dad, and you yourselves are not honoring God with your life, don't try it with your kids. You can't pass on something you don't believe in. If you as a single adult are sleeping around, don't expect your kids to have a moral standard of morality. It doesn't work that way. You see, the problem with Eli, as far as we know from Scripture, is he was a pretty good high priest. The problem was he was a lousy, godly dad. Anybody can perform. Not everybody can perform. You can't fake it when the door is closed. This is why Scripture requires that elders have their families in order. This is why I think that Satan is neck-deep invested in our culture today of you having superhero Christian fans that you love, people you don't even know, people that may very well be good, like a John MacArthur or a Beth Moore, godly people who write really well, but you don't know anything about their life. You can't hold them to account. You can't watch how they live. You know, Scripture constantly says, watch me, Uh, Paul says, you follow me as I follow Jesus. Well, that's kind of arrogant. No, it's not. Not if you're godly. Not if you're surrendered. It is a wonderful thing to be able to say, hey, let's die to self together. Why is that arrogant? Let's raise among ourselves godly men and women that God willing will marry each other and propagate and cascade godly lives in the future. Carpenter's Way should not be grown by other people coming from other churches. It should be grown because we're having so many babies who love God and those babies fall in love with each other and they have more babies. And a hundred years from now, the heritage that we have established of godly living through the word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit is cascaded from generation to generation. The problem is we all want a pill to compensate for our godlessness. And I do think the church is godless today. Wow, you're mad. It's Christmas. Why not be? I mean, you know what I'm saying is true. The problem with our culture today, you're as frustrated as I am. The problem with Washington, D.C. is not that we don't have enough laws. It's just that we don't have enough people who believe in those laws. That's why we have both Republicans who claim to be self-righteous being accused of sexual sin, and we've got Democrats who will die for women's issues who they themselves have violated women in ways that I can't even fathom doing. I can't be the only one who's been watching the news going, why in the world would a guy think that would work? I mean, I I just, on my worst day, I can't imagine trying to seduce a woman the way that some of these, it's not seduction, it's violating, it's, it's raping. If you want to have a godly kid, you're going to have to walk with God. If you want to have a godly kid, you're going to have a spiritual war in your house. Because the flesh of your children are going to fight against it. And you're not always going to win. But consistency and faithfulness and calling out to God does win. And trust, ask Hannah and Elkanah. 
They gave everything to the Lord because they believed he would honor that. Eli wanted his son to play first base because that's what his son wanted to do. It's so funny to hear so many of you at times or another, and I want to get personal, say, I can't believe how parents are raising their kids today. You know, I went out to the field and some dad got so mad, so mad at the coach, he was screaming from the bench, gosh, parents today, they're just killing their kids. The millennial kids are the result of their parents. But I understand it because that coach should have put my kid on first base and I'll be darned if they're going to And I'm like, whoa. You've seen it. We all talk about this season telling people that God is hope, but you get mad when somebody cuts you off in line at JCPenney. When do we decide that holiness is better than happiness? That is a decision. When do you decide that your wife that treats you unkindly deserves to be loved like God loves you when you treat him unkindly? You want to teach your boys how to treat a woman? Treat your wife that way. You want your sons to treat somebody with respect? Be respectable as a mom. Teach them how to treat a woman. Just is what it is. And Eli didn't do that. And we're trying to, we try to look for reasons to excuse away the boy's sinfulness. The only problem is God lets us know in this text exactly what the problem was. You honor your kids more than you honor me. Verse 29, for you and they have become uh, fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. What happens when we as parents or grandparents decide to have a form of religiosity without a serious commitment to holiness or God ourselves, no matter what the cost? What happens when a shepherd serves well outside of his home but doesn't live it inside of his home? What happens is Hophni and Phinehas. That's what happens. That's why I have you baptize your kids. Because it's your responsibility then from that moment on to follow through with it. It's your job. Your first job. Your most important job. To raise them up in the things of the Lord. To teach them to trust as you trust. My fear for us as a country, a Christian country and a church, is that we've decided to focus on the family and not God. There was a pun in there somewhere. Never once in Scripture are you told to focus on the family. You're told to put your focus on Jesus and not look away. And here's a secret. You walk with God, you put your focus on Him, your wife walks with God and puts her focus on Him, you're going to walk together. Because you're walking towards the same place. But if you focus on the kids, you're going to constantly fight. Because everybody has a different idea of what to do. Pray together. You cry together, you wrestle together, you decide together, you give up together as a team. And if you're a single mom, you've got God on your team. Trust him. Trust him and hold your ground. Well, I'm tired of fighting. There's nothing in life worth fighting for more than your kids. Nothing. But it's constant. Yes, it is. You should have thought of that before you had a baby. And actually, if... I mean, this is hypocritical because I only have two. You should have as many as you can. You want to change this world for Jesus Christ? Raise godly kids. Have 30 of them. Well, the church would laugh at me. Yeah, but we'll give you Mother's Day gifts every year. (laughs) Have 14, have 25, have 90 because politics won't work. 
right? It's not going to work. They don't believe it. Politics doesn't work. You cannot litigate morality. You, can't make, you can make a stand, but you can't make people moral. And it should be the church today that rises up and lives morally. The people in line at J.C. Penney should go, that's Pastor Mark. I can cut in front of him. What's he going to do? And they're right. They're right. I should be taken advantage of. I should be cut off in traffic and not shoot them. What about my rights? I gave them up to Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives through me. So you're telling me if somebody pulls a gun on your family, I'm going to blow their head off. Oh, that was weird to hear from the pulpit. No, because my responsibility is to protect my family as well. So that's a different discussion. And I do have a concealed weapons license for those watching on TV. And I've been trained, so my shot is fairly good. I can't see anything, so if I squint, (laughs) if you'll move around, it will help me a lot. But the truth is, the truth is that it is my primary job to protect my family, and I will protect my family. But if we're alone and you pull a gun on me, that might be a different discussion. You might be able to end me. But I got news for you. I will not be ended until it has been decided that it's time for me to end. Can't touch this. Boom, 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 boom. Can't touch this. Because I'm a child of God. I am. I am royal. I have been born into royalty. That's not what I got saved for. But now that I'm born into it, I understand the responsibilities of a royal life. And it's not okay for me to live as if I'm not a royal. It's not okay. I may want it. The world may think it should be. And you may agree that, oh, I feel sorry for you. So are you going to give up that person that makes you so happy because you're a royal? Yes, I am. Because that's what royals do. But she makes me happy. God asked you not to do it. But doesn't he want me happy? No. (laughs) I'm sorry you were told that. He wants you holy. He wants you filled with joy that only he can give in circumstances that don't make sense, like infertility or singleness or how about those of you who struggle with same-sex attraction he may never take that away nobody should promise you that there's not enough shock treatments you're not sick it's just your sin it's your flesh i like to eat fatty actually you know what i don't like sugary foods i like popcorn with too much butter and salt it's just not good for me so i have to choose not to eat that Unless you see me at the movie theater and I bought a discount bucket, it's just good money used to actually fill it up. But, but the, the truth is, I, we choose. Eli made choices. And he chose to honor his kids more than he chose to honor God. Be careful, East Texas. You value family very, very much. And graduating from high school, it's a fine achievement. It's just expected. We shouldn't act like you won the Super Bowl. You shouldn't spend $10,000 or even $1,000 on homecoming dresses. Why? Because it's just a dance. It's just a night. If you buy your kid a Corvette when they're 16, how are they ever going to top that? When do we say, honey, we can afford it? What a blessing. Let's get them a crappy Honda. If you work for Honda, they're great cars. They last forever. That's why they get crappy. <laughs> because it's really, really important, even if my heart wants to be proud, as they drive it with that big... Where do you buy those big red bows anyway? Just once, it would be really a nice thing for the church to buy me one of those cars and put it in my driveway on Christmas Day. That would be really nice. And I'm going to hug it. What's that, what's that new car? I just think it's ridiculous. 
Where's the little kid hugging? I love you so much. You are my best friend ever. And it turns out to be a car. Wait till the engine blows up. The, the, the truth is, we've got to think. Eli didn't think. He just enjoyed all the fruit of his labor without giving thought for what it was doing to their kids. It's what it looks like to love your kids and honor them more than God. This is what it looks like, Hannah, who had no cell phone contact or FaceTime or Skype and lived for a 15-mile walk from her baby, knowing that the parent that would put that kid to bed every night was a lousy dad. That takes guts and trust. I know you love your kids. It's not too late to change. If you're hearing this this morning, and I don't care if your kid's 20 or 2, talk to your kids. Tell them the truth. Walking with God is more important than the direction you're heading. Why? Because I'm 51 now, and I know that life is brief, and those things don't satisfy the only thing that matters at the end of the day is what you do with God. Well, I'm saved. I'm not asking that. I'm talking about having a life that impacts the world, being available to God. And I didn't do that. Tell your kids, I didn't do that. And the only thing I can think to do is tell you now, please don't be like me. Be like Elkanah and Hannah. Read them the story. Tell them the truth. So God visits Eli the prophet and confronts him. Verse 29 through 36. I'm going to work through this with you real quick. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you gave, give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Verse 30. So here's what I'm going to do. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, says this. I promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest. But I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. Just let that soak in for a second. Kevin, put that up there again. It's verse 30. Look at those last words. God, through this prophet, will now explain what it looks like for Eli and his sons to be despised. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family so it will no longer serve, me as, serve as my priest. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach an old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few not cut off from serving at my altar will survive, but only as their eyes can go blind and their hearts break and their children will die violent death. And to prove that what I have said is true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. That will come in the next couple chapters. This is an example of what it looks like for God to despise one of his own that takes him lightly. One of his own that takes him lightly. I am not saying God is going to kill everybody who is in this condition. I'm simply saying that God honors those who honor him and he despises those who take him lightly. Not those who reject him, but take him lightly. But to those who choose to honor them, 
him, this is what it looks like. Verse 35, then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. Then all of your surviving family will bow before him, begging for money of food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests so that we have enough to eat. And this will begin immediately. I added that line. How can I say that? Chapter 3, verse 1. Meanwhile, third time we've heard that word, right? Contrasting. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel, me, served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. We're going to go through this next week. But for those of you who are Pentecostal or charismatic in nature, I want you to note that. There are times in history where God is, uh, God is intentionally, uh, actively, supernaturally communicating, and there are obviously times where he's not. This is one of those times. In those times, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. Verse 2. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the Ark of God. Wouldn't that be cool to sleep next to the Ark of the Covenant? Not if you'd seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, huh? That's what you... <laughs> Suddenly, the Lord cried out, Samuel! Yeah, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here am I. Did you call me? So, in case you're not clear, this was an audible, clear voice that sounded like Eli's. I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called him a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and he went to Eli. Here am I. Did you call me? Then Eli re realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. I wonder if Eli realized that that was the kid he was talking about. I'm going to raise up another. Go and lie down again, son, and if someone calls you again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. And it began. The replacement of an unfaithful family. Verse Samuel 29, So why did you scorn my sacrifices and offerings, Eli? Why did you give your sons more honor than you gave me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord of God of Israel says, I promise that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest, but I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. How you live, how we honor God with our lives will return, determine the trajectory of our family and our ability to be used by God. I'm not saying God is going to kill your kids. I'm simply saying that God says emphatically, I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think of me lightly. This is what that looks like. So which are you? As you look at your life and your raising of your kids and maybe your grandkids, which of those characters are you? Are you Mary with Jesus raising God's kid? with all the weirdness that is? Are you Hannah and Elkanah? Going, whatever, God. Because they're yours, because they've given their lives to you, because they baptized, they said, my life is not my own. Every decision we make, everything we do, every decision we make for our kids, every parenting technique, it's going to go through the filter of that is not my child. So if you're wondering how we raised our kids, that's how.
is it not? We talked about this all the time. When our kids finally gave their lives to Christ, we said, now I'm going to raise God's kids. That's why we put them in public school. Not because we couldn't get a discount as pastors in a private school. My daughter's at SFA. I was speaking to a group of leaders a year ago, right after she was accepted at both A&M and SFA. And I was speaking to about 200 leaders about leadership. I, I work with my brother sometimes on leadership development stuff. And somebody from the back, when, when we had said that my daughter was accepted to SFA and she was going to go there, somebody yelled out from the back, it's a party school. They thought that was funny. And I said, well, one less next year. Because I know Miana. Is Miana capable of putting a bottle in her mouth? Sure she is. And that will be her decision. But I've raised her to think one thing before she pleases her flesh. What does this do to my calling? I can have an affair this afternoon. I don't know a woman to be interested, but having said that, <laughs> I'm capable, and I don't think God's going to crash my car before I get there. But why would I do that? What do I do on Tuesday if I do that? Or January 1st? You know, this isn't the only thing that I could do, but it is what I want to do. And God's called me to this. Why would I screw that up with a woman? Do you understand that? And why, if at 51 I understand that, would I allow my son to believe that the thing he desires are the things that he should have? I want my son to know something more important. That the thing that God desires for you are more important than the things that you desire for yourself. And in that, I have to give Zach up. When Zach went to Chicago, there was a, there was a, a conflict in a lot of us, because you love Zach. I know that. The magic kid. Uh, and people would say, oh, Moody, that's where you went. That's great, you know. But I know a lot of you thought, man, I watched the news. Chicago's pretty violent. Are you scared? Some of you had the courage to ask. And I, and I, I pushed it out of my brain, because that's where God wanted him to go. Well, yeah, Chicago can be a violent place, but if you know your stuff, if you're street smart, you're fine. Well, most of you are aware that two years into it, he had a gun pulled on him and a trigger pulled, and the gun didn't fire. And it messed him up for a year. And then Jeff let him speak at a youth camp again. I think it was two summers ago. And God put it at that preaching time in context. He preached to our students five lessons on how to live with fear, and he went to Scripture, and he taught about fear. Why? Because he's afraid. And through that, he learned to trust. He told us this week, uh, he was yesterday going around with some kids, uh, high school kids that came to Chicago, and they were showing him Moody, and they decided to go down to Lincoln Park and look at some of the Christmas stuff. And he said, he texted Julie and I, and he said, oh, guess where we walked? We walked back down that street that the gun got pulled. And he said, I had a panic attack, but I kept walking. Join us. Not as Christians in little cute churches decorated for the season. Join us as men and women of God who are doing the best we can to lay it down for the king. Who are actually willing to take our kids and let Eli raise them, knowing that God is more powerful than Eli. It is scary 
and it isn't as fun. They have cookies. But there is peace. I, I, I know you hear this, but I really mean it. I wouldn't take that gun being pulled out on my son back for the life of me because it's changed him. It's changed him. Well, what if he would have been killed? I watched Zach die three times at age two. He had E. coli. He flatlined on the table. I watched it. He hasn't been my kid since that day. And those are your kids. When you led them to Jesus, you gave them to Jesus. And you can't control the decisions they make, but you can control the values you set. And everything we do tells them what we value. Are you Eli or are you Hannah and Elkanah? Are you raising Hophni and Phineas? I'm sorry, I still see the cartoons. Or are you raising Samuel? Who are you raising? It's not too late. Dear God, I thank you that it's never too late to honor you with our lives. And this week, as you and I spoke, I was convicted of all the selfish things that I do, and I'm I feel really funny talking about Julie and my parenting here because we have certainly made enormous mistakes, but you know our hearts. Our hearts has always been to honor you. I pray for this family here today. Those with kids, those without kids, those in marriages that are terrible marriages. God, may they seek something more than happiness. May they seek holiness for themselves, for their spouses. I pray for Carpenter's Way that we would not be a church with great rhetoric, but we would be a church full of people whose lives are surrendered to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed still, would you just talk to your dad? We all have areas of our lives that we have not surrendered because of fear, because we think we can do a better job than God. Would you give it back to him this Christmas season, this morning as a gift? Give it to him under the tree right now. Tell him you'll trust him. Give it back. Tell him you're scared of what he'll do with it, but you're going to trust him. Be Hannah. Take your baby to the temple and leave it there. You've heard our prayers. Now make us faithful to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't you just hate the word of God? I don't either. And I want to be that guy, don't you? I know you do. Don't answer. I know you do. Thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his grace and get back in the game, you guys. Get back in the game. If you have a kid in 6th through 12th grade, Jeff wants to talk with you right up here and Mark for a few minutes. Mark, that's today, right? That's, so right up here over here. If you're visiting with us and you want to tell the pastor that that was the best message you ever heard, I'll be up here. I'd love to shake your hand. If you don't like the message, please talk to Jeff Bonnet. He'll be done in a few moments. Love you guys. Bible study will start in five or ten minutes.